we're going to have communion in just a bit. And uh, if you're at home, you can prep your elements and get ready for that. Um, before we jump into this week's parable, you know, we had spent some time kind of laying the groundwork for parables and how we want to read these words of Jesus. L- let me take you back to some words of Isaiah the prophet. This, ha- this was spoken by Isaiah, um, by God through Isaiah, and he s- wrote this, said it out loud to some people um, a few hundred years before Jesus came on the scene. And he says this, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a what? A new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wastelands. Isaiah 43. And there's some context around this we'll mention later. But what Isaiah is saying, it's very interesting to me that this is, first of all, in our Old Testament. We've named it that. It's in the old Hebrew Jewish scriptures. But even at this time... Centuries before Jesus came on the scene, Isaiah comes along to say, hey, you need to know I'm about to do a new thing. And so with that in mind, that context, that kind of subtext, let's uh, jump into this parable that Jesus tells. And it's called a parable. Luke, who records it, actually it's in all three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John. Um, When Luke records it, he calls it a parable in the original language. It's this word um, that is almost directly transliteration, parable. And when he calls it this, we would call it more of an analogy. You're used to a parable being more of a story. There was a, there was a dad, there was a farmer, there was a landowner, something like that. Jesus taught many parables that took on many forms, and this is one of them. So Luke says this. He told him this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment... And the patch from the new will not match the old. He's not done. He's just laid the groundwork. He goes on to say this. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out. And the wineskins will be what? They'll be ruined. And then finally, he says this. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. And what Jesus is saying here in all three of these um, examples on these graphics, he's saying stuff that's just painfully obvious to everyone that's listening. They all know this. This isn't, it's just part of their culture. They're just kind of nodding along like, of course, this is true. And of course, they're all thinking he's not really talking about wine. He's not really talking about being a seamstress or patching garments. He's got something else to say because he's a rabbi. He's not giving, you know, tips for running your house or anything like that. So when he says... All of these things, new wine must be stored in new wineskins. Everybody knows exactly what he means. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. And what do they say? They just say, well, the old is is just fine. The old is just fine. Jesus shares this near the beginning of his ministry. And he's trying to lay some foundational thoughts about what is going to happen in his ministry and what people can count on. And what Isaiah said hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, and what Jesus says in this moment as his ministry begins, could not be more applicable to my life and your life, the things that you're experiencing, the things that you're learning about the way the world works, the tension that we see in our culture, the issues that you feel so sure about. And so if you can, kind of keep in mind the last few weeks about how we feel when we're wrong, how we are 
less likely to lean into things that we don't like or how we are more likely to just lean into the truth that we already agree with. If you can keep all of that as a foundation, then you can make some progress with these words that Jesus has to say. And what he's telling you is this. There's a thing about new and old. And this thing about new and old is they don't really go together. They They don't fit together. New and old. In fact, it's a kind of a big deal, and Jesus uses these kind of common, everyday items to contrast new and old. And he's not just saying that they don't fit together, he's saying it's a, it's a conflict. There's something at odds with what is new and with what is old. And it's not just a conflict, he even says it's a bit, it's a bit violent when new and old come together. And that's true for me, it's true for you, it's true for institutions, it's true for organizations, it's true for companies, it's true for churches, it's true for neighborhood associations, it's true for school boards, it's true for families. New and old causes violence. And so he uses these two ideas of a garment and wine to paint this picture. In fact, in one translation, one uh, version of it in Matthew, he says, if you take a, a new piece of garment and you attach it to an old garment, it will tear away and the hole that was there will be made bigger than it was before. And you know this, if you tried to use a, a patch that wasn't shrunken or hadn't been washed many times and put it on your old jeans and sewed it into place and sutured it together, you know the next time you wash, everything is just going to come ripping apart. I mean, if you're like me, you don't stitch things together. You use the iron-on things. But the same thing still applies, right? (laughs) Same thing still applies. It's the same principle. They're different sizes, and they don't really fit. And we don't really use wineskins. We store our wine in different ways. Maybe you have a wineskin. Maybe you're really old school. It was either a a goat skin or a sheep skin that was made to keep the wine. And he says, look, here's the deal. If you take new wine that has yet to be fermented and it's, it's gonna expand and it's gonna contract and it's gonna react to the temperature and age is gonna create this chemical reaction in the wine. And if you take that wine and you put it in an old wineskin, well, what are the characteristics of old wineskins? Oh, they're hard. That's right, they're stiff. They aren't flexible. Anybody offended yet? They don't stretch with new thoughts. And you put new wine into the old wineskins, it'll explode. And not only have you lost the wine, you've lost the wineskin. And the wineskin had some use. It did. It just needed to be wine that was aged. It needed to grow together, the wine and the wineskin. This is... This is violent. This is what's happening. And when Jesus describes new and old, that's what he's saying. And and you've seen this a thousand times in your life. You know it's true. And you've seen it relationally, organizationally, like I said. You've seen it in every area. Have have you ever watched uh, new parents give the new set of rules to grandparents? (laughs) And the grandparents, they say... You know, I mean, we just gave them like a fifth of bourbon and they were fine. (laughs) Right? Isn't that what they said? They quit crying. Well, yeah, they were drunk. (laughs) Of course they quit crying. That's how you solve this problem? Worked for us. 
Is that why he's in rehab? This is not good. And so these stories are compared, new and old. It, it, it doesn't work. It, math, who would have fathomed that math would become a generational hurdle? But when parents now sit down with their kids, or goodness sakes, grandparents, to do common core math, and they, of course, think the very same thing that, well, that these people said to Jesus. We had the old, and the old is just fine with us. Carry the three, for goodness sakes, right? <laughs> Isn't that how it works? And it's true for technology. It's true for churches. It's true for your faith, and it's true for my faith. New and old, it creates a crisis. And Jesus is describing a crisis that's about to happen. And this crisis wasn't once and done. It wasn't first century, and now we're all past that. This crisis happens whenever anybody encounters the person of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, or an understanding of the nature of the gospel of Jesus, that new and old come in conflict with one another. In fact, I, I would dare say that in your life and in your family and in your heart and in your faith, there is some conflict of new and old that's brewing right now. And there's some conflict of new and old that has already taken place and you've settled it and decided you're going with the new or you're going to stay with the old that's tried and true. All of these things are true. And when Jesus describes this, it's not so much new and old as much as it is new versus old. There's usually one or the other. Because it seems like the larger question at play, and Jesus just barely touches on it, and it's only in the Gospel of Luke that he uses this, well, we're just fine with the old, you know, that's, this is what they say. This new versus old, the question underneath it is not whether something is new or is old, but which is better. That's what we want to know, because you want better. You always want better. And for some of you, better is new. And for some of you, better is old. And whether it is better for you, new or old, is predictably tied to your age. And this is a tough thing for us to wrestle with. When I was in my 20s, I was a pastor. I showed up at churches with great ideas and bold thoughts. And, you know, I'd love to paint a picture of how things could be. And if I weren't being careful, I would talk about how things should be. And uh, we would try to get some things done. And, and the thing that young pastors get told, young leaders, young teachers, young, you fill in the blank, it doesn't matter. It's the same across every industry, every profession. They hear things from people who have been around the block and who have tried those things once before. Of course, they did it in a different time. I mean, they did it with papyrus and a chisel and things like that. But this is what they hear. We've always done it this way, or we've tried that before, and it doesn't work. And the young person thinks, well, I haven't tried it, and I think it could work. And, of course, the old, old man says to the young buck, you know, well, yeah, give it a whirl. You know, you, we'll just sit around while you fail. And, of course, the system is set up for innovation to fail. Tradition, the old. Innovation and the new. This tension is present all of the time. And when Jesus says, well, he's beginning his ministry, he says, well, you know what? The people who are here, they don't even want the old wine. They just, the new wine, they just want the old wine. They say the old wine is, is just fine. 
It's just great. It has to be better. But it really doesn't have much to do with which is better. It has more to do with how you feel about the options in front of you or how you think we should operate or how your faith ought to grow. And some of you are facing some crossroads in your faith, relationships, forgiveness, and mercy, and your preference is winning out. And Jesus comes along in the middle of that and says, I'm bringing some new wine. And I don't know, but your container might not be able to hold it. Now, over the years, there's been a debate over, over all of this, about this new wine and old wine, and what does it mean? And most theologians, many, in fact, say, well, this, this new wine is this age of grace, this story of the gospel, this thing that Jesus is doing. This is what it is, and it has to do with the New Testament church or this new institution that's being started. And some would say that this old wine is the Old Testament law or the old way of doing things, the old way of seeing things. But to understand it, well, to even get your mind around what Jesus is saying and why, you have to look at the context, of course, always. The context is the big deal. And so in Luke 5, it's near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he begins calling some people that would be his disciples. And as he begins calling these people, he has some interactions, some people see it, some people watch. It really is sort of the big deal that defines who Jesus is and what his ministry is about. And so early on in his ministry, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. What's his other name? Matthew, that's right. And he was sitting in his tax booth and probably not the first conversation that Jesus had with Matthew or Levi But Jesus says to him, follow me. It's the same invitation he gives to you. You don't have to agree with everything he says. Just follow me. Where are you going? I don't know. We're going to step this way. That's where we're going. You can follow me. Same invitation. And so Jesus said that to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, Matthew, Levi, he was a a Jewish outcast. He had no position in Jewish society. The only people that had position in Jewish society were the hyper-religious or those who had some sort of standing with the religious authority. Religion, Jewish life, synced up very tightly, and Matthew was an outcast because he had, well, he had thrown in his lot with the Roman government. It supplied his income, made him very wealthy, odds are. And the people that would have associated with Matthew, his old Jewish buddies would have written him off long ago as somebody who's just a sympathizer or a plain sellout. And so, as Matthew began his relationship with Jesus, he threw Jesus a little party at his house. And we threw this party at his house, he invited all his friends, and they weren't really important Jewish people, but they were the only people that would hang out with a sort like Matthew. Some of you have friends like that. That if you were to hang out with them, some of your current church friends, or maybe people that you grew up with might think less of you, or might wonder who you are. This is what Matthew is doing. He is hanging out with his good friends, he invited them all, And at this gathering, he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors, just like him, sellouts, sympathizers, turncoats, whatever, um, and others were eating with them. Well, the Pharisees saw this, and not just the Pharisees, but most of the fine Jewish upstanding people in the community, and they had a question for Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I like the NLT better. It says, why do you hang out with the scum of the earth? (coughs) These people, why do you spend time with them? And when you read the gospels, you'll see that most of the parables or the stories that Jesus tells, 
they are in response to a question like this, almost always, in response to some sort of test that somebody lays out to Jesus. And the reason I point that out and what I love about that, it's not like Jesus had a, a pile of notes like I do or, or prepares his stories for the day and just goes out on the street corner and lays them out. Somebody asks a question and it pokes something in Jesus' theology or the people that are in the crowd and then Jesus tells a story about it. It, it just comes flowing from him, of course, God in the flesh, but fully man, and it's in response to this question. There's another question that he gets asked. He's hanging out with all these people, having a big party, and some of the Jewish people nearby said, you know what, John's disciples, John the Baptist, they were fasting and praying. The Pharisees fast and pray, and he looks over at Jesus and his buddies, and they're having parties all the time. How come you don't fast and pray? And Jesus gives them an answer. It's a good answer. You should read it for yourself. It's right there in Luke 5. But then Jesus tells this story about new versus old. And when they ask him this question, why do you hang out with these people? Jesus has a, a, an answer and then shares the old wine, new wine bit. His answer to them is, look, you need to understand this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the what? And then he clarifies that, because I'm sure some of Matthew's friends were like, what is he saying? Why is he, he, did he just call us sick? And they probably laughed about it, I'm sure. But then he says, I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Can you imagine that there would be people around that would think that they weren't sinners? Can you imagine that there would be some people that would not have an awareness of their need? for God's love and mercy. Some people that would think that they are above it. And so it is this story of new versus old. But I don't think Jesus was talking about the age of grace or the New Testament church. When Jesus is talking about new versus old, he's not talking about New Testament and Old Testament thinking. He's not talking about Forgiveness that will come through the blood shed and the body given. And the old way of the law, sacrificial systems and all of these kinds of things. When you read the words of Jesus in the Gospels, he cares very little about religious institutions. And odds are he didn't have the church or uh, Jewish systems of worship in mind at all. In fact, I believe when Jesus is talking about the containers, he's not talking about anything institutional. When he's describing wineskins, I believe he's describing somebody like Matthew, somebody like Peter, somebody like Mary Magdalene, maybe somebody like you. He's describing the container of a person Almost all of Jesus' parables, they're about relationships. They're about how people connect and how people understand who God is. Almost every one of his analogies is about your heart, your life, your priorities. Not about the institution you belong to or how it's run. All those things are important. The apostles will dig into that in the book of Acts. And many things will be decided by those who are called to lead and shepherd, pastor, take care of the church. But when Jesus speaks, he's talking about his relationship with you and the state of your heart. He's talking about how open you are or how closed you are. 
He's wondering if you have room in your life for new wine. That's what he's wondering. He's going to say some things, and many of us are going to see them and at face value reject them out of hand. That's how he got in so much trouble with the establishment of the Jewish religion. But what is it that Jesus is calling you to that's new, that's refreshing, that is a a new way of seeing something, and your old way is deeply entrenched, maybe a little firm, maybe a little bit brittle, maybe a little bit resistant to seeing something in a new way. You see, when Isaiah the prophet says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a what? Hundreds of years before Jesus comes along, it tells us this very important truth or principle in Scripture God is always doing something new, always something new, always. And we'd love to take our faith and kind of box it up and set it aside, now I got that part of my life figured out. But God is always uncovering some new truth in Scripture that's going to poke at who you are, your values, your priorities, your prejudices, the way you spend your money, the things that you find important, the people you haven't forgiven. God is always going to poke at something new, and this is going to be true for as long as you draw breath this side of heaven as we live an imperfect life. See, I am doing a new thing. So what new thing is God inviting you into that you deeply want to resist because of the heart that we have? I mean, the great news is this. If God is doing a new thing, the best news you will hear all week is this. If God is always doing a new thing, then that means you don't have to take into the relationship that you have The old you. You can bring a new you. The you that is more loving and kind. The you that is not going to react in the poor ways that you've reacted in the past. The new you that is being made new one little layer at a time. That's what Jesus promises. You can have new. It's available. It's right there. So what is the new thing that God is placed in front of you that you've either resisted or set aside or decided, that can't be it, that's not good. That, that's not how I was raised. That's not how I was taught to think. That's not my faith. What is it? Because God, I promise you, is doing a new thing. And what he wants is for you to have um, new wineskins ready for that new thing, which means that you're open. New wineskins, what well, means that you're curious. It means that you're open-handed. It means that you're not afraid to say, you know, I I think I know how this works, but I could be wrong about it. That's what it means. What is this new thing? Since we moved into our house about three years ago, three and a half years ago, we've planted, I think, uh, 27 new trees in our yard in various places. Man, it sounds like a lot, but that's because a lot of them died. And uh, we, that's, our house is where, you know, green things come to turn brown. That's what we, that's what we do. And every spring, you know, the, these few springs that we've been in this place is, is the same thing. You know, we, we wait for the warm weather and we wait for the, you know, spring snow to get things nice and wet and moist. And then we go look at this new thing that, we, that was planted last year or the year before to see if there's going to be some new little growth that comes out of it. And the joy that we have when we see on the edge of this evergreen, this, this, this quarter-inch piece of, 
of new bright green something. You know, it teaches us, ah, oh, this thing isn't dead yet. I mean, we probably will die next year, but it's not dead right now. And it's going to grow a bit. This is a new thing God is inviting you into. The context for this verse is absolutely incredible. When you understand it, then you understand why God so values new things. When the prophet Isaiah says, forget the former things, the verses right before this, if I could scroll on this, you would see them. He is describing the moment when God had freed his people from slavery and had just come through this big body of water and God destroyed their enemies behind them. And after telling that story in a matter of a few verses, the prophet Isaiah, through the words of God, says, but forget that, forget that. I mean, you would think this would be about sin or disobedience or some other thing. No, no, do not dwell on the past. The past is good, and today we'll do a thing where we balance it. Remember how things balance? We talked about it last week with remembering. Isaiah is saying, don't dwell on the past because I am going to do a new thing. And that new thing, it was true for the people in Isaiah's time, the very moment he said it. It was true for the people during the time of Jesus as he walked this earth. And it's true for me and you today. He's doing a new thing. He's inviting you to it. New wine and new wineskins. And so this is why we take communion. The folks that are going to help us serve can go get the elements that we'll partake of in just a moment. And if you're there online, we'd love for you to get your stuff ready as well. I can't think of a more appropriate Sunday as we're talking about new wine and new wineskins than to remember the elements that Jesus gave the disciples the night before he was killed. Because in just a moment, you will, in fact, ingest the, the very epitome of new wine. It's, it's not even the least bit fermented, to your disappointment, I'm sure. <laughs> but this new wine that is given to you represents a relationship, not an institution, it is indeed, in fact, a sacrament that we enjoy with millions, in fact, billions of others across the world on this day. But this, this element of wine and this element of bread represents the very thing that secured our forgiveness and grace and mercy, relationship with Jesus. So when he was with his disciples, he held up a cup of the Passover and he said, take it and drink it, all of you, and do this in remembrance of me. In just a moment, we'll do that very thing. And then he held up the bread, and he said, this bread represents my body, and it's broken for you. And his body, broken for us, represents the depth of his love and the mercy. And Jesus knew, even in facing death, he would experience new life. And that's the promise that we bring to this communion meal. The death is not the end. Not even close. It is only a step toward a new heaven and a new earth we experience, knowing that his mercy covers us. And so I'll pray, and when I pray, after I'm done, you can, at your leisure, make your way to one of the three areas to receive communion. There's a lot of us here today, and we have a few stations, so if you would like, you can wait in your seat for a bit. We won't continue singing one last song until we've all had a chance to partake. If you prefer, you can get in line and wait with the others as well, but take your time.
You can take communion right there in front of our friends or you can take it back to your seat. And if your heart is in a place or your religious practice is in a place where that's not a part of your thing, then it's a great time for you to ponder new wine, new wineskins, right in your seat where you are while the rest of us partake in communion. Lord, we come to you right now and we ask that you would bless this holy meal, these sacraments given to us, the gifts of God for the people of God. And we pray that today, as you invite us into something new, every single one of us, you're always doing a new thing. And Lord, for some of us, that new thing is a heart of forgiveness or a heart of love, a heart of grace, a heart of sacrifice. For some of us, Lord, you're calling us to be generous in a new way to somebody. For some of us, Lord, you're calling us to learn new things about others and how to love them more fully. Lord, some of us come here today in need of peace. Our souls are stirred up and we bring to you chaos. And so your promise to us is that if we come, we sit at your feet, we listen for your voice, and we are still and quiet, that we will become aware of your presence that was there all along. And it's here in this place, and it's with every person watching online in their homes and the places that they are. And so, Lord, today as we partake of this holy meal, we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son. And we're grateful for being restored to your love and welcomed by your arms. Bless us now as we partake of these emblems. In the name of Jesus, we all pray. Amen.